It's that time again. It's Greek for the week. I'm Chris Palmer. Let's open our Bibles and get right down to the original language, the Greek. God bless you. It's Greek for the week. That's right. It's the Greek for the week podcast. We've gone from one minute on Instagram to 20 minutes right here on your favorite podcast, Greek for the week. And you know, we're available on on every different podcast platform that you can think of. We're on Spotify, iTunes, you name it, we're on it. And so before you get to listening to the podcast, why don't you do us a favor at Greek for the week and light up today church and send this link to somebody and say, hey, check out this new podcast. It's really interesting. It's a little bit deeper than Sunday mornings. And he takes us into the original Greek to understand what it means. And, you know, we don't just look up a Greek word, and you can easily do that in W.E. Vines or any other Greek lexicon that you have. But we're looking at the original intent and syntax of the scripture. We're combining that with hermeneutical principles, not so that we can seem smarter than anybody, but we want to discover what the text is saying to us today in 21st century contemporary uh, world, USA, or whatever country you're from. And so send that to a friend and say, this is an interesting podcast. And also, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can do that by clicking on the anchor.fm link and sending contribution to our podcast. You know, if it's been a blessing to you and God puts it in your heart, feel free to do that. So let's get right into what God has for us today. Now, if you have your Bible, I want you to go to Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 48. (laughs) You know, I had someone on Instagram they said to me, why do you always do New Testament scriptures? Why don't you go into the old? Do you not teach the old? Do you not believe in the old? And I said, well, precious sister, you know, I believe very much in the old. I'm thankful for the Old Testament. It's just as equally important as the New Testament, but I'm a Greek scholar, not a Hebrew scholar. And the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. New Testament was written in Greek. And she says, well, why don't you study the Old Testament as well? I said, I do study the Old Testament, but I gave all my concentration into college to the Greek in the New Testament And um, so I'll leave the Old Testament for the Hebrew scholars, but nonetheless, we can still understand the old by looking from the new. Praise God. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, we're talking today about can I and am I supposed to be perfect as a Christian? Now, this is kind of an absurd question because none of us are perfect. Who's perfect? I'm not perfect. If you think about the last couple of days, can you think about a time where you made a mistake? Maybe in the last month or in the last year, the last six months, whatever, where you sinned and had to ask the Lord to forgive you, where you repented, where you came short of God's moral and ethical standard. I can tell you for certain that in my life, since I became a Christian, there's been times, plenty of them, where I had to go back before the Lord and get on my knees and say, Heavenly Father, I repent I plead the blood of Jesus over this in my life. I change my mind about this. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Bring me back to a place where I can stand before you, Lord, without this sin in my life. Give me the power of your Holy Spirit so that I can overcome this and keep this overcome in my life. Because we are in a process of sanctification. We are moving forward into becoming more and more like Christ every day. God's given us His Holy Spirit. That process is at work, but it's not complete. In other words, we don't have final sanctification at this point, and we won't until we stand before the Lord face-to-face in heaven. But there's an issue, and that is there's a scripture, the one I just gave you, Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, and it reads this, You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, I was reading a Christian, I'd say a blog or 
uh, I think it was a blog, it was a website, a popular one, and the, the person that was writing said, God said that we don't ever have to be perfect. Mm, I said, well, and I read a little bit further, and I think I understood what they mean, but God didn't ever say that we don't have to be perfect, because in Matthew 5, 48, it's right there. You must be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. So he does say it. However, what does he mean when he says you might or you must, you absolutely must be perfect? And that's what we're going to look at today. What did Jesus mean? Because he did say it. God did tell us we need to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. But the question is, what did he mean by that? Now, we can't assume or we can't believe that he means that we're supposed to be sinless. Because in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, it says, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, it says, If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So there are plenty of verses that suggest to us that as we live our Christian lives, we're going to need the advocacy of Jesus before the throne so that we can receive forgiveness when we mess up. The difference between us and a sinner is the fact that we have the Holy Spirit living in our lives who constantly is convicting us of sin to go back before the Lord and get our lives right. We have the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ. There's a big difference between us and people that haven't received Jesus as their Savior so that their sins can be forgiven. And that is, we have the advocacy of Jesus. But nonetheless, there's going to be times where we mess up. So this verse here just cannot, as we look at Scripture, mean that we're never going to sin, and that God thinks that we're never going to sin, and that's the standard we're being held to. So we need to find out what Jesus means, and in order to do that, we have to put our thinking caps on, and we have to become Sherlock Holmes and look at the Greek and look at the evidence and find out what it's saying. Now, before we even go to the Greek in Matthew chapter 5:48, we need to understand that context still plays a very important part of our discussion. So even if you look at it in the UBS 5, which is the most updated Greek version of the Bible that we have, doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to solve what it's saying if we don't have a context. So we even have to look at the context in the Greek. So particularly, to do that, we have to find the nearest full, complete thought that that verse is contained in, which we would call, in theological terms, a pericope or a discourse unit. You know, some people say, why do you use all these big terms? Well, you know, learn a little bit. I may throw a big term here and there, and that's good because you can learn something new and add to your understanding. I'm dumbing it down, but sometimes I don't want to dumb it down because I want you to come up another level and learn something that maybe you might not would some other place. Verse number 43 is the beginning of our pericope or our discourse units, the full thought that Jesus was conveying that runs into verse number 48. In other words, it's all connected. And this is what he says. I'll read it in English. He says, this is from the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, this is interesting. We're going to come back to that. Let me just finish the verse. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his son, S-U-N, rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. Look what it says in verse 47. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles or pagans do the same. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So we have to stop for a second and ask ourselves, in what context is Jesus discussing perfection? And so it doesn't take a rocket scientist for us to figure out just by looking at the inflow of the context here from verse number 43 up to verse number 48 that Jesus was talking about love and perfection. 
or perfection in the context of love. And so before we get to that, let's back up to verse number 43 and notice something important that Jesus says. He says here, you have heard it said you shall love your enemies and you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemies. Now this is fascinating. It's very interesting because he says you have heard it said. Now we need to, when we see things like this in scripture, instead of jumping over it, stop and think, what is Jesus telling them? He's saying this is what's been proclaimed and declared in the culture. It's woven into the fabric of this culture. It's where our culture is at here in the Mediterranean in the first century. This is the popular belief at the time. And that should be interesting for us because prior to hearing Jesus, this is what everybody believed. Jesus was disrupting what everybody else was saying. He's saying, this is what everybody else is saying, and this is what I'm saying. Well, everybody else was saying, you should love your neighbors and hate your enemies. Now, that was a fact. You look at the Qumran community at the time, which was made up of the Essenes, Tacitus, who is a historian, first century Roman historian, was saying that he was under the impression that the Jews hated anybody who was unjust because the Essenes at the time had taken a pact or have made treaties to hating people that were unjust. And so there was a big part of the Jewish community, they didn't like people that were not worshipers of Yahweh or not Torah-keeping Jews. And they hated, they hated people that were not in covenant with their God. Not saying all of them, but there was a large part of them, so much so that Jesus said this. But it wasn't just Jew alike. Pagans were the same way. And we see this in the writing of Simonides. Now, Simonides was a first century Greek poet. And this is what he says. It's okay or appropriate to benefit your friends and to harm your foes. That was the culture at the time. Even more so in the Rhetorica at Alexandrium, which is a work that was attributed to Aristotle. We know it's not Aristotle who wrote it now, but this is what it says. At least it was a popular document at the time. It says, we are not alone in doing harm to our enemies, which means that everybody at the time was doing harm to the people that they didn't like. This was common. And so the standard of righteousness at that moment was to just do well to people that you got along with. That was the standard of righteousness. And this is the counterculture that Jesus was speaking against when he said to us, that we're to love our enemies and ultimately be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. Now the picture is starting to be painted just a little bit more about what he could possibly mean about perfection. And so let's let's hold that right there and let's pick up another thought and we'll put them all together in just a second. Let's go here and understand what the culture believed about following God. If you're going to be a God worshiper at the time or you're going to worship one of the false gods, or you're going to worship the God of, of the Jews, whoever you're going to worship, be polytheist or monotheist, what did it take to follow God? Epictetus, at the time, who was a first century Greek philosopher, said this, that a man who is going to please and obey them, referring to the gods, must endeavor as best as he can to resemble them. We'll also see here that Seneca, who was a first century Roman philosopher, says that a good person is God's pupil, imitator of the true offspring. Which means that following God in the culture, according to the culture, meant that you had to be an imitator of the God that you're worshiping by characteristics and by traits as best as you possibly could. Now that we understand that about the culture, let's go ahead and go to the Greek and see what the Greek is saying to us so that we can put everything together and combine it. It's what it says here in the English, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. That's verse 48. Okay, let's break this down for a second. The first thing we see here is that 
we have here, therefore, which in Greek we call logical inferential conjunction, which is connecting verse number 48 all the way back to verse number 43. In other words, he is wrapping up his thought. We know what he's wrapping up because we've just studied two things from the culture. We've studied, number one, the way that uh, the culture at the time believed is that you're supposed to hate your enemies, you can do bad to your enemies, and the way that Jesus was teaching them is that you can't be that way, that the higher righteousness that you're supposed to have is love for your enemies. And we know that the way that a culture served a God at the time was that they had to imitate their characteristics and their qualities. Jesus is wrapping up all this into one when he says here that you, now this is an emphatic umes. This is like Jesus is pointing their fingers at them and we know who he was talking to, his disciples, the people that wanted to follow him. He wasn't talking to the crowds. He was talking to a group of his disciples. The crowds eventually got bigger. But this was early on in the, in, in the Sermon on the Mount. It was his more intimate crowd that wanted to follow him. He's pointing to him and saying, if you, if you want to follow me, if you want to follow me and follow God, then you have to understand this. You must be perfect. In what sense is he talking about? Well, the Greek word here for perfect is teleoi, or it comes from the Greek word, the lexical form, as teleois, which means to be ethically and morally complete, ethically upright, and have righteousness similar to the righteousness of the Father. Now, we find that this was actually the Greek word that's used in Deuteronomy 18 in verse 13, which says, Be perfect before the Lord your God. And in the Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Old Testament, it's this word here. And it means to have ethical and moral completeness. And it's referring to those people at the time that kept the totality of the law or able to keep the whole law. Keeping the whole law. Nobody did it, but it was the standard. Now, this is very interesting because those people that were listening to Jesus who were Jews would have, they would have known this. That Jesus was connecting, keeping the law to what he had just said in this pericope. And that is that he's saying that in order to be perfect before God, we need to love our neighbors as ourselves. What Jesus is saying is that the, the whole law is encompassed in loving God and loving others the way that we love ourselves. And it would have stuck out to them that higher righteousness and moral perfection before the Lord begins with not just loving the people that do as well, but it begins by loving those people that hurt us. Now look at what Jesus adds on here. He says something that's very interesting at this point. And he gives us an example, and he says, you must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now he gives us an example here, and he tells us that the heavenly Father is perfect. And this would conclude that he's the one that works in perfect love. His love is the demonstrable love that we're supposed to imitate. And is there any guesses as to what that love could possibly refer to? That's right. It's the love that God had for those who are at enmity with him. The Bible says that when we were yet at enmity with God, he sent Jesus Christ the righteous and he forgave us of our sins. And so keeping the law 
or being morally upright before the Lord means that we're supposed to imitate God through a love that loves not just the people that do us right, but to love our enemies, the people that do us wrong. And you know, when you think about what our enemies are, that doesn't just mean people that talk bad about us. Think about as Christians who our enemies are, or supposedly are. Muslims? Perhaps atheists? People in the college, universities, professors of all kinds that come to challenge what we believe about the resurrection of the Lord, the people that get under our skin. Your enemy might be the person that has a different political persuasion than you, might be the person that voted for the opposite candidate that you voted for, the people that you see on Instagram that get under your skin, the people that post memes that misrepresent everything that you believe, the people that are trolling you on your Facebook post, the, the, the aunt or the uncle that you have on Facebook mute, these people that get under your skin because not of just what they say, but what they believe, the ones you're thinking, how can they believe something like that? I don't understand it. And they annoy you terribly and completely. Or the people that you see on the news. These are your enemies. And Jesus is calling you to be perfect in the sense of, can you love them? Because if you can love those types of people, then you are keeping God's moral and ethical standards of righteousness, which is so different from the culture that we're living in that says, yeah, you can do good to your family. Watch out for those people that are watching out for you. Scratch those who scratch your back and throw other people under the bus if you have to. Step on them to get what you want. And that's not God. And that's what Jesus is saying. That the kingdom of God is a, a counterculture to everything that we know. And that God's standards are completely different from the world's standards. So perfection doesn't mean that you're going to get it. You're never going to get it wrong, and and there's going to come to a point in time where we just never think a bad thought, or never do a bad thing, or never say a bad thing. But it means that we're supposed to strive to love other people, especially our enemies, the way that God loved us when he sent Jesus Christ to die for us when we were enemies with him. And the desire of our heart and the passion of our heart and the aim and the objective of our Christianity is to use God as our example and imitate him by loving those that quite seemingly are unlovable. That's being perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. So today, or this week, is it easy for you to love your enemies? Do you know who they are? Do you have people in particular? You know what? Do something different. Send them an encouraging text message. Pray for them. Lift them up. Help them out this Christmas if they don't have the ability to provide for their family the way they need to. Maybe you can smile at them. Maybe when you're at work, you can go talk to them without having some type of argument. Maybe you can remember them in your prayers when you're with your family. Do something. Make a volitional act of your own will to reach out to those people and show them the love of God with no strings attached. Even if they laugh at you, even if they scoff at you, even if they think you're crazy, there's no stipulation to the love of God. Jesus says, be perfect. When you demonstrate love to your enemies, that's exactly what you're doing and you are walking in the whole fulfillment and aim of what God's law is, and that is to be lovers of God and to be lovers of people like us. So today, 
you can accomplish being perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect by walking in the highest form of love and loving people who are unlovable. You can do it. God has given you His Holy Spirit. He's equipped you with the ability to do that. Ask the Holy Spirit to do it. And I'm certain He'll give you His grace. Let me pray for you. Father, I lift up those that are listening to this podcast today. We can walk in the highest type of righteousness, even higher than the righteousness that says, scratch those who scratch your back. And that is the righteousness of God, which loves those who are unlovable. Holy Spirit, give us the grace that we need in order to walk in your love. We honor you, Father. We bless your name. Anoint those people who are listening to this podcast to walk in a love that they've never walked in before, the same love that you, Lord Jesus, demonstrated upon the earth when you died for the people that spit on you and the people that crucified you. We give you praise and glory. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Friend, if this podcast has been a blessing to you, share it with someone, take that link, text it, send it on Instagram, put it on Facebook, post it, so that we can continue to spread Greek for the week and take people deeper into the Word of God. Thank you so much for listening. Like I said, we'll have a podcast every week at least, and if there's time for more, we can do more than one podcast. We have a lot of Greek for the weeks to catch up on. Thanks so much for listening. God bless you. Walk in the love of God. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to support us further, you may visit us on the web at lightoftoday.org. God bless and good studying.